What's up? Welcome to a new episode of Movie Schmovie. This is episode number 366. My name is Steve. I'm one of the co-hosts. And as always, I'm joined by... I'm bald. And I'm cool. <laughs> okay. There it is. Um, uh, But I'm John. And my bald friend is Ron. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, I don't know. I'm just feeling cool tonight. I don't know about you guys. Oh, okay. That's good. I'm yeah. glad to see that. That's good you're, that you're you, feeling cool. If you feel cool, it's good because you look cool. So. Oh, these? Yeah. Oh, you know what? It's, it's paired up. I could always take these off for the show, but I just wanted you know, I feel cool because I hung out with some friends uh, a couple <laughs> nights ago and actually saw a friggin' movie in person with some people. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if you guys... Wait a minute. I think... You look familiar. You yeah. were there and and you were there? What yeah, happened? Tell, tell, me, tell the folks what happened a couple nights ago, Ronald. We saw Knock at the Cabin, which is our first get together screening wise. And it was like three years. It feels like more than three years, actually. But I'd say three years. Because time yeah, has I become mean, a, almost like a meaningless concept in the last yes, three years. Yes, yes. It's hard to say how long it really feels like. Yeah. yeah. It's been a while. We can it's say been that. Quite some time. It's been a while. The run, the, the run of the pandemic, pretty much. But. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, we got to go see a movie together, which was awesome. Sitting in a theater together was something I missed. Uh, you know, we we saw a ton of movies together prior to the pandemic, and hopefully we get back into that mm -hmm. uh, with some sort of regularity. Um, so, yeah, we'll be talking about Knock the Cabin later this episode as like our feature review. Uh, and last week, John picked the conversation for his required viewing, so we'll get into that. Uh, but first, we wanted to kind of go through a couple bullet points of some news items that have come down since... Uh, we last recorded the first of which I guess would kind of give our, our quick feelings and, and uh, takes on the whole James Gunn, Peter Saffron, DCU, chapter one, gods and monsters, uh, which was announced, <clears throat> excuse me, which was announced earlier this week, officially, formally, you can find it on James Gunn's, the, the Twitter, the Twitter uh, video that he has, it's kind of gone the rounds, you can find that there, but mm -hmm. I don't know, what do you guys what are you guys thinking about this uh, this launch, this announcement, this plan for the next, I mean, eight years or something like that, they said, uh, of DC? I'm pretty excited. Um, yeah. I think Marvel and DC have an issue with uh, their characters kind of being, man, this thing is going crazy. Kind of their characters being spread all over the place. Uh, between TV and movies. Marvel also has this problem. People don't talk about this in the Marvel world, but there are characters that should be in the MCU proper that just aren't. Or um, haven't been. And haven't been. Or yeah. haven't been. And I don't know if they ever will be until something drastic happens because they these companies, a lot of them have them in, right. in, in perpetuity forever if they keep you perpetuity sucks all over the place and so what that does is it they create right. some 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 separation and what dc has finally done is said hey these are our characters in another dimension these are elseworld characters these are not a part of the main story but they are you know, one-off stories. They may be uh, bizarro versions of characters, but we're going to see these these movies being labeled as Elseworld. Right. And then we have the Gods and Monsters, Chapter 1, which is going to be the James Gunn era. Let's just call it that. You right. know. And then um, there's some universe reset movies that we know about. 
So ones that James Gunn, I think that people are under the impression that James Gunn was just going to sweep everything away. It's like, screw this movie, screw this movie. But we're finding out that Shazam, The Flash, Blue Beetle, and Aquaman are actually going to be included, bundled into the universe that's going to be, you know, welcomed and in canon. Yeah, he treated it as like added value to what they have planned. That he, yeah. that they have these, as he kept saying, I think just these four projects. I think the word he used was inherited. That he mm-hmm. feels lucky that he inherited the Flash, uh, you know, Aquaman, uh, etc. That 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 batch of stuff. That it's all, and he also said they're kind of off in their own little like Shazam is off in its own little tonal world anyway. And yeah. then on the other hand, you have Flashpoint or Flash, which is supposed to sort of be a potential reset anyway and then aquaman is kind of off in its own world so i mean i I don't know he didn't promise that he's going to keep those things spinning but he did sort of say it's not as simple as just a total clear the board type thing but he also can't say much more than he said i mean i think that the main thing is there's surprises to come in these movies and um you know you said it's the james gunn era but i want to say i don't think i've seen some people out there that are concerned that it seems like it's the james gunniverse now and i don't really think that i think what it is there are a couple of them the authority and whatever creature commandos those Mm. seem like james gunn projects those seem like something he maybe has a passion for that he's pushing forward and that's Mm. probably fine with me because this guy pulled uh, the Guardians, or was one of the people um, uh, to pull the Guardians out of obscurity and make them into some of my favorite, uh, you know, uh, comic book right. movie characters. So I trust James Gunn's instincts when it comes to weird little characters he loves. Um, but I think pe- what people should really notice is that he mentioned some really big uh, items, such as the Batman, the plans for the in-universe Batman. Um, it's taken from a particular batch of stories that people can, can you know, love or hate, but can definitely say it's, it's a choice, the way the story works, to have right. a, a Robin who's kind of like Batman's son and a, a, a bit of a hellion that Batman has to deal with. That's a fun conceit. And then his idea to re- kind of reset Superman and give us a younger Clark Kent, younger Superman. That stuff all sounds good to me. Um, I don't know. There's some TV shows too, Booster Gold, Waller. I mean, there's just a lot of things that if you know the lore and if you've been keeping up with, say, Peacemaker, you know some of these little tributaries that might turn into other things you'd be interested in. Um, so, yeah, I feel like it does feel like it's the James Gunn era, but it doesn't feel like he's only doing the James Gunn thing. And I, and I yeah, do expect sure. him to m- at least mean it when he says it whether it turns out this way or not when he says that they're going to let directors have a vision and do their own thing i think james gunn is going to be a director friendly uh uh executive producer or whatever his role is going to be on some of these things do you have a favorite project maybe from the herd ronald or steve that stands out to you something that you're like especially looking forward to now um uh, the the green lantern one the series stood out to me a lot i mean i guess mainly in how he presented it just this idea of you know, like it being kind of like a mystery uh, that could possibly have a bigger impact on this chapter of the DCU. Um, I think he said it, he compared it to like true detective kind of style of a series. Um, but, you know, with with two lanterns, which is kind of a cool take, I guess. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I like that idea of trying to like make some of these and and, and Marvel kind of does it in some form or fashion, um, you know, kind of having these series or these movies, um, you know, fit in the world or be in, in this like grand plan, but also like from one to the other kind of feel different. And whether it's like the one that feels like a caper or the one that feels like a political thriller or the one that's like a more gritty mystery, you know, like whatever the, whatever you could draw the line to in in the Marvel movies that kind of really exemplify that. I like the idea of some of the stuff him having announced, you know, it, it, it definitely feels like there's a like there could be a sense of that as well. Um, 
And for me, the big takeaway is just the idea that they plan to build up to something. And I think that's kind of what I think most people or a lot of people um, that I agree with, too, is just like it seems like the whole DCEU where they tried to go with it. It just was kind of backwards um, in, in terms of like story work and character development and just kind of spending time with this stuff before you get all these people together. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they can accomplish that or some some variation or version of that, which, you know, Marvel did so well, you know, I think this is like a really good plan or could be a really good plan. And yeah, I, I'm a huge gun fan. Um, I'm happy that it doesn't seem like it's going to be, you know, the, the gun averse or whatever, you know, like that, that, that some people do seem to be concerned about. It's just kind of like something that, you know, him and Saffron and, and this writer's room that they talked about, which um, had a lot of variety to it and different kind of takes and, coming from different parts of the industry. Um, I think it's a good approach and just kind of is like a fresh take for them and and not kind of having to silo everything off into one thing that, you know, everything kind of gets branched off of. I, I like that. I think that approach is probably better suited for what they're trying to do. Um, and it's just, you know, a lot of people are happy just to see that there's a lot of focus and emphasis and priority on maybe getting a really good Superman movie out again. So, yeah, I think that's exciting, too. I mean, Ron- that's arguably the biggest character, so they need to do it right. Ronald, do you have a particular project in the mix that that stands out to you as one you're excited about? Superman Legacy, uh, Lanterns, and Batman. Um, the Brave and the I, Bold. I don't really care about a connectedness as long as it has to do with the quality if there's a quality in terms of all these things have a standard of quality now i'm good with that and yeah. if maybe two or three of them lead to a bigger thing that'd be cool too but um i think what i've always wanted which i was really afraid of with a lot of this stuff is like is this stuff going to be good is it going to hold up is it things that we we can share with people that we won't feel like oh i like that you know and then everybody else is like that was poop you know what I mean? Like, you know, we we want more consistency. So, like, yeah, I I agree with uh, Steve. I I if it, if it leads to something beautiful and big, that'd be cool. But if it doesn't, that's cool too. But also, consistency seems to think be the thing that he's aiming for. That's the thing, kind of the undertone of what he was promising. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. I'm super excited, actually. I'm super excited. Yeah. Um, I, well, I'm super excited, too, because the project I'm probably most excited about that he announced is the Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow movie, Ooh, man, so which cool. uh, the series that that's based on, written by Tom King, and I hope I'm getting this name correct. Uh, the artist's name is Bilquis Evely. Um, mm. Bilquis Evely? B-I-L-Q-U-I-S. E-V-E-L-Y. And the art is... Honestly, I mean, the art was the reason to pick up the book. You know how you, okay. you see a comic book with a cool cover and you flip it, flip it, and the art on the inside is often not as good. Yeah, and you go, yeah, oh well, maybe I, maybe that was well written. I'll, I'll wait until I hear more. But when it's one that like the cover looks cool, and then you open it, and it's the same art as the cover, basically the same quality throughout. And the story was very much like Supergirl is this little bit more of like a warrior character than superman but she's got the same thing of trying to do what's right and it's kind of like a space it's got like an epic kind of uh star wars star trek whatever you want to call it planet hopping kind of backdrop so that's the one i'm probably the most excited about if if they're actually adapting this comic because this comic when i was reading it was like oh this would be a great way to get into the supergirl character but i think they talk about building up to get to something this cosmic they would need to build up a little bit so yeah i'm hoping they do the same thing you said ronald good projects 
but like let it grow towards something. I think that's interesting to note that James Gunn can learn from what Marvel did, whereas Marvel learned from the mistakes of the past of all these attempts to do comic book movies without doing them in a comic booky way that was interconnected. Now James Gunn can look at you know, 20 Marvel movies and say, okay, what, what has worked for Marvel and what hasn't, and how can we plan? I mean, he's got the insider's uh, take on how things worked or didn't work at Marvel. So I do think yeah. that's one reason to be hopeful that at least within the plan, there's probably a combination of exciting, distinct projects that are their own thing. And then like making sure that if they do piece together into something that it's actually, you know, that's actually something too. If you make a good project and it's a piece of a bigger puzzle, yeah. um, I'm with you, Ronald. It doesn't have to be screaming that it's a piece of a puzzle the whole time. Yeah, it can yeah. just be that you later realize, oh, I got some important information from that cool cartoon or whatever. Yeah, for um, sure. But yeah, so those are all fun projects to look forward to. Um, cool. I also thought the Waller series sounded really cool. I think that's going to yeah. be the sort of follow-up to Peacemaker um, that we're looking for. So uh, cool. um, anyway, um, the other news, I just kind of wanted to broach. Ronald, are you back on th uh, the MoviePass tip the way that Steve and I are? Did you sign I'm, up? I'm going to. I think I've been a little scared. How? how okay. I, I guess lightning round. How do you feel inside about this? <laughs> And have you used it yet? Well, I haven't got my card yet, but but okay. I think it's going to be, it's basically going to be three movies for the price of one. Um, if I if I sneak sneak off and see matinees, or if I manage to, you know, depending on which theaters it covers, to me it's going to be like three movies for the price of one. So that's how okay. I did the math. It's like ten bucks a month, and you sounds like I'll get credits for about three movies. Um, and otherwise, it sounds like it's the same plan as last time, if not maybe a little bit less mystery. They make it sound like they're going to try to get every theater in the in the universe to uh, to cooperate. So if okay. that's actually true, then yeah, it it will pay for itself with me if I keep up my current habits. What about you, Steve? Yeah, I mean that's the plan. Uh, I think initially I signed up for the basic, and then I think I I upgraded it to the standard because I was one of the backers on Kickstarter. Yeah. Oh. Wow. And I got a, I got an email after signing up that if you were a backer, you got um, two months of twenty dollars in credits. Mm. So wow. like a, that's that second plan, which I think equates to like six or seven movies. But I, I don't, it, you know, I'll, I'll try this out, you know, for a couple of months and see how it goes. You can cancel at any time. Yeah. But yeah, it does seem a little more streamlined, you know, instead of saying, you know, <laughs> go all out if you want to. Um, it's more it's it's a credit based system. So like the, the plan that like John was talking about is like 34 credits a month for ten dollars. And depending on when you go, where you go, what movie you're seeing, you know, you could get up to three movies in that in that month, you know, with those credits. They also allow credits to roll over from month to month um, up to the amount that you get monthly. So, you know, you can accumulate a rollover of, in his case, 34 points um, and carry that with you from month to month. But I don't know. It's, yeah, it definitely seems more transparent. I mean, from what they say and claim and listening to um, the CEO on some podcasts recently, you know, the idea is, is that, yeah, it, it's not even really a matter of getting theaters to buy in or allow it. Cause it's still the same model in terms of you having a, a prepaid debit card in, in essence um, that you can use to do this. And it's kind of all tied to the credits that you have on your account. Um, but yeah, I mean, once we get the cards, I haven't gotten mine. It's supposed to come in the next couple of days, um, give it a run and, and we can, <laughs> we can come back and say how, how well it worked or didn't work. But I, you know, I think this is the kind of flexibility that MoviePass offered is just the idea. As much as I love the AMC A-list, and I think it's still a great value if that is something that is accessible mm -hmm. to you. You know, something that's $10 a month and, you know, I can have a little more uh, 
you know, move around from different theaters or if I want to go see something at a theater that's a little more artsy or independent that maybe AMC's not playing. That that's kind of where Movie Pass really comes in. And that's really kind of where they really helped lift a lot of movies and theaters and just some box office when they did have their nice run that that glorious summer. Mm. Um you know, helping movies that, you know, needed that kind of boost um, yeah. for people that were going multiple times a, a week. But I don't know. I, ho- I hope I hope there's a space for it. I mean, obviously, the exhibitors kind of pivoted and made their a lot of them have their own versions of a plan like this. Right. Um, but that cross that crossing is what movie pass offers, you know, to kind of go from theater to theater. Um, and yeah, I just like the idea of it. It's kind of it's kind of stipend out now. You know, you have these credits. And what what's that say? I just yeah. signed up. Okay, there you go. That's a little blur. I just signed up as you guys are talking. So the movie pass yeah. brothers. <clears throat> it's just uh we'll see how it goes. I mean, yeah. I think I think the idea that it's a little more controlled, right? Is really gonna benefit them. And I and you know, they have a really interesting way of presenting this to theaters too, to embrace and not fight, you know, like they did before, because it does really um present a possible winning scenario for for especially for independent theaters um and independent films that really could benefit from the box office influx that that a, that a movie pass subscription you know can offer so i don't know we'll see how it goes i mean uh, yeah again we'll get the card in a couple of days and maybe in the next episode or two we can kind of follow up and see how it's going yeah that's exciting <laughs> Um, yeah. Do you think if we all three get our cards and then we get together and we touch our cards together, that is going to like increase our power in some way? <laughs> we'll all start. We'll power it's like a up. super card. Yeah. yeah like, then you can get concessions cool. with it and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Super card. So if uh, oh, one last question, if I, if you have one card, but have a significant other, can you use that one card for two tickets? No. It's just always. So. Yeah. I, I don't I can't remember what the, there was that question on the FAQ. I think it's actually I take that back. Maybe not because I think somebody it did say something about like it it may not be limited to like one a day. Mm. So you could just, you know, possibly yeah, maybe you can actually, I think because of the credits, you can like yeah. have just like a quantity of two and it still just ticks off the credits. Right. I don't know. It's a good, it's a good you question. You know, there was a way to cheat it before. Yeah, because no. every time you logged, and I don't mean like it was good to cheat it, but if you logged in, it gave you the value of I forget I forget how it was that I ended up discovering that one time, but it was like you you still had that money on the card, like essentially you could go buy a drink if like it was <laughs> yeah. like I can't remember what happened though. It's like that they unlocked sixteen dollars or something, and like on bargain matinee day, the ticket was like seven dollars and so yeah. oh. i could still use it but i think people were saying they could buy a second ticket on those days and i don't remember if i ever tried to to cheat it in that way um i was not <laughs> trying to build the system i thought it was a beautiful system it was cheap and i saw so many movies when that card yeah, was, no. when that was up and running i really got my money's worth out of movie pass that's why i'm that's why i'm okay with doing this new model which you said steve it's just more sane it's more controlled it's more yeah it sounds more it sounds less pie in the sky th- than what they were offering before so um and i'm a i'm you know i'm at this point i do nip off and see a movie pretty uh pretty regularly so um it's gonna it's gonna pay for itself for me so we shall see um shall we conversate as people say it always bothered me when people would say that because that's not the darn word (laughs) converse is the word but shall we converse about the conversation uh from 1974 my friends yes required viewing okay now this is a movie that i've made no i mean this is a movie that i love and this is a movie that i've reliably had it in that like 
rotating cast of movies that when people say, what are your favorite movies? This is one of my, this is like frequently in the top three or something. You know, I just think this is such a, I love the look and feel of it. There's like a nostalgia feel for me of like, even when it was being made, it was meant to kind of call up like um, European films of the sixties. Coppola was kind of, uh, you know, like inspired by that stuff and wanted to make a little bit more of an artistic film than you normally see in America and watching this movie again and really thinking about how it's made and just where it falls in his career and just where it falls in the pantheon of films that people talk about. I really don't think there are that many other movies that look or feel like this movie or that at least not American movies, at least not of the seventies and beyond. I just think it's an interesting uh, success story of a kind of one for them and one for me sort of thing that after he did the Godfather and then before he did Godfather two, he went off and made this and, um, he didn't even finish shooting the script that he wrote for it because he was so busy with Godfather 2. So Walter Murch sort of took control in the post-production. And like there were 20 pages of script that didn't get filmed. Coppola didn't know they had the movie. And Walter Murch is the one who kind of made the movie out of what they had. And I actually oh, wow. want to talk to you guys in a little bit about some of that stuff. So it's interesting to note how that was done. Um, but just briefly, if you don't know this movie, it's about a surveillance expert who gets hired to do a job that basically the conversation of the title is a conversation that's recorded at the beginning of the movie that then has ramifications for this surveillance expert and for the people being recorded and for the person who paid him to record it. It's this moral dilemma of like, you know, meddling in people's lives. And uh, Gene Hackman plays this, this empty shell of a man, Harry Call, who's so obsessed with protecting his secrets and protecting himself that he seems to have no real human connections at all and maybe limited humanity. Um, but I think Gene Hackman is electric in this movie. I just love it. What do you think of uh, the conversation, Ronald? You were the only one of us who hadn't seen it at all. Uh, not really my bag, but yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen anything like that first scene. Um, it's like masterful filmmaking. Um, it didn't keep me... I don't know why it didn't keep me engaged the whole movie, but that... I. The first scene was so perfect that I was kind of like, is the whole thing going to be this? Like, it it just does a lot of things at the same time. It's just like, it's kind of setting the tone for how meticulous this man is. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of going through all these shots and dipping through this park. The, the, The audio stuff that's happening where, like, you know, he's trying to hear parts of the conversation. It's just unreal like i don't i've never seen anything like it um but yeah i I don't know like something about it toward the end i just like some of it is context man like i i kind of wish that i saw this before i had a phone like a smartphone or something you know (laughs) it's just like these things sometimes the context that they have and maybe this may have something to do with my pick that i wound up telling you guys after this um (laughs) That the context is everything. And sometimes just like if I saw this when I was younger, I would have processed it totally differently. Um, But the character study of the man who is obsessed with this, uh, his his profession and and the the coldness that he has about things and, uh, you know, the the human interactions that he has that are so strange. Yes. It's just like very basic questions being asked to him and he just kind of crumbles in a weird way. Um, 
Gene the, the only scene where he kind of opens up, Ronald, and warms up is that scene at the party at the back of his shop mm. where he warms up because he's kind of getting buttered up and telling these stories. And then the guy kind of pulls the little trick on him by by revealing he's been recording him. And then he he shuts back down again. But there's a brief moment yeah. where he actually starts bragging and boasting. And he actually tells that awful uh, the joke with the awful slur in it, which I guess we can we found out that Francis Ford Coppola movies have to have one uh, egregious slur in them. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I, I do think like you see that and you go, we're well, not supposed to like these people. These aren't supposed to be pleasant guys. But right. it does make me think if you were doing that more deliberately, you would not choose that for you would say, let's show that he's not pleasant, but not a guy who you go. Eh. You know, but what's sort of sad about that, I, I actually found the script online and I looked in the script and I couldn't find that joke in the script. So that leads me to believe that that may have been like an ad lib no, or something no. someone threw out on the day, which makes me feel even worse about it. Uh, the sort of homophobia of that joke. However, it was meant to make him seem like a guy who's trying to appeal to these kind of sleazeballs. But you're right, Ronald. That's the only part of the movie where he kind of warms up and and he instantly regrets letting his guard down. Um yeah. Uh, and his whole relationship with Terry Gar is so crazy, you know, like you can tell that she's had it. Like, she seems like she's a sucker. And then as he's leaving, she's like, you know what? Don't come back, you know? Yeah. Um, and you yeah. realize that she was being friendly because she's got this screwed up boyfriend that she's kind of trying to communicate with, but she's yeah. fine with cutting him off. Um, I found all of that really, you're right. The character study. Well, I mean, honestly, Ronald, the character study is the movie, but yeah. I do think there's, if, if I think there's something about, at least the context of this movie, people have been referring to this movie and ripping this movie off with like the way they treat this kind of stuff. You know, a lot mm -hmm. of people have been influenced by this movie. So there, it is that kind of thing of, it's not so much like the age at which you see it, but maybe like before you see other pop culture that is kind of pulling from it. For but sure. as far as me, like every, I mean, every time I watch it, I, there's something I, I noticed that I'd never noticed before. And there's something that pulls me deeper in. Um, what do you think of, of the conversation, Steve? I mean, it's it's kind of I guess I'm kind of in the middle of the two of you. Like, I don't know. I feel like it definitely is something you or I I like respect immensely. And, you know, I think it's probably Gene Hackman's best performance um, that I can kind of think of. But I think really kind of the bigger takeaway of the movie for me when I saw it before and even on the rewatch is just kind of beyond his performance. It's just the. Um, like the world in which he lives is so paranoid and private and kind of stripped of everything yeah that like the situation that comes out of this job that that they, that they take it's just it's just um it's kind of the craziness of this this created madness in a world that like is absent of anything else mm -hmm. you know that that he kind of sort of is creating on one hand by himself uh, with like kind of how deeply he goes into this recording and you know what he thinks is happening and you know, versus what is actually happening. Um, but I don't know. I feel like that, that kind of like push and pull uh, throughout the whole movie of like this person who, you know, th th is kind of like burdened or kind of burned or, you know, broken by this bad incident that happened based off of this, you know, recording that he made in the past. Right. Um, where people were murdered. Yeah. Um, family was three, murdered. Three, yeah. Three people were murdered. And I mean, and, and that, what that does to you and then to kind of be in a situation again where, you know, he's kind of so paranoid about what's being done with these recordings or like what these recordings could an outcome from them of some of any sort, you know, and then when you start to get these feelings about it and like the people that he's working with and, and the director and even uh, Harrison Ford's character. And it's just like, it, it, it always stood out to me just like how, 
there was such an effort for this character to be so private and so removed from all that, even though he's so intrusive by, by career or yeah. by profession, uh, that, that, uh, that, that, like, I don't even know what that right word is that, that like dichotomy um, or push dichotomy. Or, yeah. Or like, hypocrisy. Yeah. <laughs> like how, how at odds that was with yeah. like him, his life. And right. then ultimately the impact that it has on his life when, you know, he's kind of wrong about, you know, what he's uh, thinking is going on in some, in a lot of ways. I don't know that that was always the big takeaway for me. I mean, beyond just like a great performance um, by Gene Hackman, it's always, and again, it's like, I always forget that Harrison Ford's in it. Every, you know, the times I've seen it. I'm wishing we got, I, I <laughs> this was before Harrison Ford was Harrison Ford. You know, I think he right, has another right. simple, much smaller role in Apocalypse Now. Um, yeah. And then he became Han Solo and then he became uh, yeah. Indiana Jones. And then yeah. later, you know, he's uh, what, Jack Ryan. But like, there's a thing with him where. I kind of wish we'd gotten more young, creepy Harrison Ford. I think he's <laughs> deliciously creepy yeah, in this, good. like he's hanging good. out in the sweater and like making the cookies. And there's like a little hint of a relationship between him and Robert Duvall where he's like that scheming underling who's yeah. like, we later find is doing something much more nefarious than what we yeah. think. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that, uh, that, that scene where it's just a little subtle line where like, they're back at the apartment playing the recording and uh, Harrison Ford's character, Martin says, well, shall I play it again? And Robert Duvall says, no. Um, or something, there's something about like Robert Duvall saying, you want it to be true. You just want yeah. me to, you want me to know it to be true. And then, mm. you know, uh, Harrison Ford is like, no, no, I just want to make sure you understand the full. It's like, we totally see later that he's maneuvering Robert Duvall into a place where he'll go and confront them uh, where they will then murder him. And then that's like, but you're right. It's like, it's funny that Gene Hackman's paranoia is wrong, but it's like what's actually happening is really horrible too. Yeah. And the yeah. actual scene when you see little glimpses of like his his evolving visions of what's happening that change as he learns more about the recording and as he listens to the recording and as you said Ronald the remixing it and getting new context from different mics and there's one little line reading and I heard somewhere that Brian De Palma actually told Coppola this was a cheat but Coppola said no it's all about the mind state of the character but the difference between uh Frederick Forrest's character Mark he's the guy who um is on the recording and you know one of the young lovers I guess the the difference between that just a subtle emphasis, and it's even much subtler than what I'm about to say, but throughout the movie, you hear it as, he'd kill us if he had the chance. And then at the end, what he says is, he'd kill us if he had the chance. Yeah. And like Gene Hackman has been hearing it the whole first, the first way, the whole movie. And then at the end, he hears that what he's saying is, we're killing him before he kills us. Whereas earlier, it sounds like they're saying we're afraid of him, you know, yeah. and that's where he goes with it. And it's the compassion he feel, feels for uh, Cindy Williams's character, which what a coincidence that I was watching this movie the week that she died. You know, that was definitely making yeah. me notice her. And she's great in this. She, I love how that recording, I love listening to it and hearing it. It does evolve. And her thing with, oh, poor baby about the, or poor guy about the, you know, she sees a guy sleeping on a bench and says, I've always thought this is sad because he's somebody's baby boy. You hear that yeah. line enough. You hear the, her singing the red, red robin goes bob 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 and along like that stuff becomes so eerie and ronald what you're talking about the distortion the weird little electrical noise as he's switching from different things like that stuff just the sound design of that is so powerful and so creepy honestly you have this beautiful melodic piano piece that's like the main piece of the score by uh, david shire but then it's mixed in with these like mechanical kind of scream sounds and stuff that really are kind of horrifying Um, the one thing ronald i wanted to mention to you about the ending too is that um, uh, 
this is where the the idea about them piecing it together in the edit in the original version there's this whole piece where um you know he has the the thing the party at his shop he wakes up in the morning meredith is gone but she hasn't stolen anything she's just rummaged through some stuff then he goes and confronts his partner uh What's his name? Stanley, I think is his name in the park Stan. and says to him, that guy you brought over last night, his girl like came through and messed up my stuff. But, you know, she looked, but she didn't find anything because I have the important stuff locked away. And Stanley's like with his mother and they're at a concert in the park and he, he kind of blows him off. And then he goes to see um, the Robert Duvall character. And it's a little bit of a longer scene. And then he goes to the confessional, wow. which in the movie, the confessional scene is much earlier. Yeah. yeah. And then he goes to the hotel and then he goes to the financial plaza and gets thrown out by security. And then he sees Anne on the elevator on his way down and follows her on the bus. And so that whole scene of her in the park, remember when he had like the dream of her in the fog in the park and Gene yeah. Hackman's like shouting all that stuff at her in the original script, that was an actual scene where he talks to her on the train and like harasses her. And she's like running from him. Um, and he says all that stuff to her, like trying to communicate with her because he, and he says all this stuff about how I care for you. And I, you know, he knows she's, he says, I feel the same way when I see a homeless person, you know, and all this stuff that's creepy. She's like, who are you? And she runs from him. And then late. So then, so then later anyway, when, when he realizes what's going on and he goes and sees her like, um, remember they're in the building and she kind of nods to the guy and he looks and they see him there. Like that part plays differently in the original script. Cause it's all about mm. them being like that guy who harassed me on the bus. He's here now, you know? Mm. And then later when he calls him and says, and they replay the recording, they just, you know, that part is creepy to me. It's in the movie where he's on the phone and they, they play on the phone, a recording of what he was just doing him playing sax in his house, you know? So that's really scary, but I'm just yeah. saying all that storyline, it was a little bit more linear. It's interesting to note in the movie that the way they worked that edit, it almost doesn't, it's like almost like a dreamlike section. It's like, you can't really tell what's going on. The, the, in the movie, those scenes, it's amazing how when you watch it through, it just feels like it's part of the movie. But if you go back to that part of the movie now where he goes to the building, he sees her in the car, then he sees the newspaper, then he's back at the building and she's coming out of the building. That stuff feels very dreamlike now because they did not have the scenes. Like I said, there were supposedly like 20 pages of stuff that didn't get shot. So oh, wow. I don't know if that would have helped you with the last act of, of the story clicking more, but I think ultimately it makes the movie more interesting that it's more about like the, the paranoid mind state is much more like what comes across. But um, anyway, um, I, I guess to me, it's just one of those movies that uh, constantly kind of reveals something different. And I think people have stolen that that ending scene of him tearing the apartment apart, you know, to look for the bug. I feel like I've seen countless uh, like references to that or some idea that's based on that of just like the person who totally loses it and then, <laughs> you know, ends up demolishing everything, looking for, you know, something in a paranoid act like that. So yeah. Um, <clears throat> Ooh. I don't know. He'd kill us if he had the chance, Ronald. <laughs> kill us if he had the chance. Oh, so it's my pick, right? Yes, I guess You're it's next. true. You're your next, your pick right. is next. All right. Before Blair Witch, before all of the found footage horror films, there was a, a BBC 1992 horror film. Well, this is strange because it was presented like a BBC story. Yeah. So it, it scared the sh living shit out of people in London. <laughs> because people thought it was real. It used real correspondence from the BBC at the time, which had never happened. So it legitimized it in a way that was kind of nuts. It was the like war to worlds of that time. <laughs> it's like it, it, it created a real stir over there. And that is 1992's Ghost Watch. I've never seen it. Um, I've heard so many good things about it. 
Um, uh, and I'd like us to see it. Yeah. Have you seen it, Steve? No, I have not. <clears throat> I have. Yeah. And I saw it only recently. Like it was coming up on a lot of lists back in yeah. uh, Halloween time. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot. Uh, who who posted some a filmmaker that we all really like? It might have it might have been Edgar Wright. Yeah. Some someone right around the right around the Halloween season, like was going on a, a, a like a rant about it on Twitter, and uh, I had heard about it a few times, but that was kind of what put it over for me to to, to kind of track it down and yeah. find it. Um, I never watched it because all of them were like VHS versions for a really long time. They were like it came out like a good version recently, right? Yeah, yeah, really recently. So like for for like twenty years or so, there were all these like VHS copies that people had recorded from TV, and then there was right. like a DVD that came out, but then really recently a Blu-ray came out. Uh, I think it was maybe Vinegar Syndrome or some somebody like that, a British small label remastered it and put it out but it was like for a really long time vhs quality but yeah that's why i waited so long i waited i waited quite a long time to see it uh so ghost watch is my pick ghost watch that's cool that's on it's on my you know nebulous list of gotta watch that at some point but i don't yeah. know why i don't know why i never have so yeah if you want to watch it with us it's actually on tubi uh if you've ever used tubi before oh it's, cool it's uh free on there and it's only like I think a couple bucks on Vudu or Amazon Prime. It's like two or three dollars. Cool. But cool. <clears throat> no, it's good. I, I'm excited to watch that again. I, I haven't. I mean, I watched it again. It was right around Halloween. But cool. Maybe I'll track down that that good version that you're talking about. <laughs> oh, you watch because the one I watched like was not like a premium version of oh, it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it it was fine for my for my expectations, but I mean the quality at least was fine. Um. Cool. Yeah, that'll be fun next week. Cool. Does anybody wear a, a weird translucent gray raincoat throughout the entire movie? Steve, I don't know. I was just—that's uh, one thing about the conversation I meant to comment on is that that strange <laughs> jacket that Gene Hackman is wearing the entire time. Yeah. That, that he also wears an enemy of the state, which is a definite. Yeah. follow up i mean it's like yeah. it's not meant to be harry call but it is meant to make us think it's basically harry call from, from and the- i was reading an article and in, in going into this conversation about the conversation was that the picture of him from the nsa in enemy of the state is a picture of his character from the conversation yeah yeah really that's it's like crazy yeah it's like, i mean when it was cool. announced it was sort of like wait is this i mean it would that's right. definitely where that casting came from and I, I, i'm sure. sure if they could have used the name they probably would have i don't know why sure. um you know they they couldn't if they wanted to but i mean i do think it's interesting that yeah it's basically the you know it's a very uh amped up uh version of what that guy might be doing a few years later uh 20 years later whatever it was <clears throat> yeah it's fun when, it's when fun. did enemy of the state come out it was shot around here right yep Baltimore and DC. Oh wow. Um enemy of the state 98. 98. Okay, so yeah, 24 years after the uh after the conversation they did a sort of de facto sequel. Tony Scott. Oh, that's right. I knew it was somebody, but I'd forgotten yeah. that it was him. Just trying to see what the filming locations were. Um Cool. All right. Well, moving on. Um, again, we talked about it at the top. Finally got to go see a movie together again. 
uh john had his icy ronald had his bottle of water and i had i choked on that water stuff. i thought you were dying or that you were very <laughs> ill and i was like oh either situation like is not good. i was yeah. like shit he's about to i was like i was looking over you like are you all right oh is that what that noise was <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was like a gag and a gasp for air <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was part of the sound design of of uh, Knock at the Cabin, so I didn't uh, I didn't turn my head. I think I, t- I think I tilted. I was like sitting back too far to drink the quantity that I was. So it was so cold. I kind of jerked a little bit. And it was like, <laughs> went down the wrong pipe, is what we say. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but yeah, we we got to go see Knock, Knock at the Cabin at a special advanced screening uh in a nice theater with nice seats and nice sound and it was just a nice experience all around for me at least i think you guys will agree um but yeah yeah, this is a new movie uh co-written uh and directed by m night Shyamalan. got dave batista jonathan groff uh rupert grant ben aldridge um what's the little girl's name Kristen. Kristen. is it quee quee um i think so yeah, I don't know. The, the, the names, yeah, Batista, Rupert Grant, Ron Weasley, and uh, Jonathan Groff are the kind of people you might recognize, at least. Um, but yeah, this is just a kind of thriller, possible end of the world, paranoia, uh, maybe cult activity. You don't really know until we kind of get into this movie. John's mentioned it. I think Ronald even, too. It's based on a, a novel called, uh, was it Cabin at the End of the World? Yes. Yeah. By Paul By Tremblay. Paul Tremblay, right. Um, you've probably mentioned it more on this podcast than any of the films marketing mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> Even the movie that, that connected connection. up there quick, yeah. but I will say yeah. that the, that all the credits were a little quick at the like I noticed that the one after that that said who wrote the movie was also quick. So it's like, okay, they did it about the same amount of time. But I still feel like it's a weird thing. And I wonder if, and here's my my kindest version of this. I wonder if M Knight doesn't want people seeing, oh, it's based on a book. He doesn't want the marketing to be pushing people to read the book and ruin his movie because he's so surprise obsessed and secrecy obsessed. I wonder if he wants people to find out about the book after the movie rather than like let all the marketing push people to go read the book so that then they're watching the movie all spoiled, you know, which again, that's like what happens with a book. But I wonder if that's like an M. Night thing that like it was kept a little bit quiet because i don't think there was a poster or anything you know it's just an interesting thing to note i don't know quite how that works the only reason that that seems weird to me and i may have mentioned this on the show is that it seems like if you were an author and your your book got turned into an m night movie you'd be thinking like oh at least my name oh this is going to be awesome for me and I'm, i'm sure it still will be for an author to get you know adapted that way i'm sure you get you get paid and all that it's just it's interesting to think that they're not trying to make a name out of the author who more or less wrote this movie. I I mean, the last act is very different. Um, But up until that, the book and the movie are very, very similar. And I think Ronald, you, did you do the audio book or did you read the, I did the, I did the audio book. I've been, I've been into that because I'm driving. Who read it? Commute. Uh, A woman. A woman. No, no, but, but but the reason I say that is, it's so this is gonna sound really weird. Despite the fact that there was one person doing all the voices, she really did a good job with the 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 couple. Mm-hmm. I actually wound up when I wound up watching the movie, I'm like, oh man, this is how I imagine them sounding. Cause she yeah. she kind of had these specific yeah. ideas for the two for the for the two uh two people, dads. two two dads in the story. And Andrew and Eric. Andrew and Eric, Daddy Eric. Mm-hmm. 
Daddy Andrew and Daddy Andrew. Eric, the uptight, uh, vaguely Christian one, and Andrew, the the more fun, more like curious and playful, uh, but also possibly more like angry or just whatever. Like the, you feel like there's a balancing act between these two dads. But I thought it was a really nice. That was one thing the movie nailed was the family vibe between the actors and the. They, they did feel like they were jumping off the page to me in that sense. Like it, in the beginning of the movie, I did feel like, oh, this is so close. Like. M. Knight really picked up on something in the book that he liked, uh, specifically about the family, I think. Um, yeah. And about the other characters. When Dave Bautista comes in, all that stuff, it was very much... It was interesting having read the book so freshly before, because I think in some ways the movie would have been more uh, exciting had I not read the book, because it is such a slow burn in some ways. But I also think I, I was glad that I had the book in my head when it got into that last act, because it was it was kind of as fun to compare it to the book as it was to watch it, in in my opinion. Um, but, um, you know, I like seeing something self-contained. And I think it's interesting that when they, you mentioned it as a thriller, Steve, you know, this could have if this had followed the book exactly, it would have been a little bit more horror because it would have had more kind of gruesome like true gore in it. And it would have had a couple of moments that are very upsetting compared to what happens in the the movie that already has some upsetting parts in it. But I feel like this movie steered clear of showing us too much of the gore. Like it was very like chased almost in in terms of turning the camera away from the really worst stuff. And then Mm -hmm. the way that it wrapped up was a kind of neat and tidy ending that gives a little hope to the story, you know, or at least some indication of where hope might lie. Um, that I was like, oh, it's interesting to see a movie, you know, still, I like when I go see a movie that feels like it's not trying to set anything else up and it's not a not a universe, not a mythology. It kind of does all of, that it's doing in that one in that one movie. And it is a right. it is a different beast. It could have been more horror. It was is much more of a thriller. Um, and uh, the slow burn kind of almost like examining this family um, or these two families, in a sense, there's there's a group of four people that come in that aren't a family, but they are bound together by something. Um yeah, how did you feel, Ronald, watching this, having read the book? Do you think it? Do you think it helped or hurt your viewing of the movie, having having the book fresh in your head? I think it helped. Um, I thought it was a strong story, anyway. I mean, just the concept. I re- I remember, you know, when I was telling somebody the premise, and you know, like, oh, first they're like, it's an M Night Shyamalan book. What? What? what I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, M Night Shyamalan movie. What's it about? And then I told the premise, and their face immediately was just like. Oh man, that's fucking. Yeah, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to see that, but it plays out so well. Um, I thought that it was a good companion piece, and I and I and I implore anybody that's seen the movie to read the book. Like it's it's a it's an it's an experience. It's a it's re, it really is an experience, and it, you know there's a, there's a lot of like heavy lifting that the book does in terms of the backstories of the characters that that's kind of brushed over in the movie in a really cool way. They kind of hit on all the cool stuff, the all the important things, but it's, it's, it's worth a read, but I, I enjoyed it overall. The third act change. I really liked cause I didn't like the ending of the book. Um, so to have it end the way that it did, which was, you know, equally a somber, but it did have some some light at the end of the tunnel, and I really enjoyed that, especially coming fresh off of watching The Last of Us. <laughs> yeah, you know. So, well, I mean, I think when you're writing a bit more of a genre book, and it's a little bit like I said, more violent and a little bit more in the horror genre, it makes sense to me to have the events of the book. Like, I like the ending of the book better for the book, but mm-hmm. I'm still not sure I like. I think I like the ending of the movie better for the movie. Like, I think that. If the movie had followed the book, there's one thing that happens in the book that would have made it legendary, 
and possibly extremely off-putting. You know, to to horror fans and fans of extreme storytelling, it would have made it, oh my God, I can't believe they went there. And mm-hmm. then to, to the average viewer that M. Night is still trying to grab, it would have made it maybe too much, you know? Yeah, and I can sure. think of a handful of movies that have pushed that lever of like, how far can you push certain things that the audience doesn't want to see happen in a horror book? Like you're reading a book and it's like, there's 40 pages of book left uh, after the, that event. The movie... Yeah was structured so that I, I I think here's what it is. There's certain things that you don't matter. You can't imagine certain things mattering to certain characters after that event. In the book, yes. there's a lot more, you said, heavy lifting in the narration that can explain the mindset of the characters and explain how they move on after something truly heinous happens. In the movie, I think it would have felt like, well, what's this all about then? If that if that's going to happen. And I don't want to yeah. be any more. I mean, I guess we could do a spoiler section on this, but we don't have to. People can figure it out. But, but um, yeah, I think that it was wise to to make that choice for the movie, just because M. Night is a little bit more populist. And, you know, I think he could truly do something that's like a hard R with like lots of violence in it. But I don't know that that's really his way. He's much more about the ele- elegant camera move and the staging things in a way that keeps you guessing. And I think that I think you've mentioned this, Ronald, after we saw it, that first half hour or so of the movie is just uh exquisite like the crafted the the suspense the the timing the pacing the what's going on like if you don't know the book and you're watching this movie you might be shocked at how quickly it moves to get the premise in in action then it slows down a little bit for some of the really grueling stuff but that first chunk of the movie is just really i think dynamic and interesting and um yeah it's like truly thrilling more than it is scary there's a few moments that are genuinely scary but then it's much more like just the suspense that's wearing on you um steve i mean you you didn't you don't you don't know the book you just know the movie no, but no, uh, no, but yeah. you know you, you're you know m night and we've come back to him throughout his career to kind of check in on what he's up to how do you feel I, about this i loved it honestly like i thought the movie was great and i was like when you're talking ronald about like tra- explaining the plot to people like i was telling aaron had an idea like about what it was like just from the trailer and she saw what when i watched it but like kind of explaining it to her a little more uh, on Wednesday morning before I left for work, I was like, I found myself getting like excited telling her about it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's always a good, yeah. uh, that's a good like takeaway from it's a, a schoolyard like, feeling <laughs> experience of like seeing a movie that, you know, you like, but you're like, how much did I like it? And yeah. uh, sitting on it a little more to talk about it tonight. Like I, I kind of looked back yesterday morning and was like, yeah, man, I was like, really excited to like kind of not not spoil anything for her but like kind of get a little deeper into like the real dilemma of the movie you know having seen it and you know and i think the performances in the movie are great i think bautista we we always talk about him and it's it's out there that like you know this is a role he really went after and m night went after him after seeing him in um what would he see oh blade runner 2049 and um you know, I think he's incredible in this movie. This is definitely like this is a calling card for him of what he intends to do as an actor. Yes. Um, and I thought he's just he's like that opening sequence John mentioned. I think it's just that whole sequence is just, I think, incredible. Um, like these awkward close ups between his character, Leonard, and the uh, the little girl um, when when and I just think that, you know, as he kind of gets closer and closer to those faces in that scene and, you know, the angles start to tilt a little more to kind of throw off. Um, how we feel about the situation, you know, as we start to see more and more about what he's where he's going with his questioning. That whole scene is great. Um, but yeah, the, the the family works very well. I think M. Night has a real gift for working with children. We talked about this after our screening. It was a real takeaway for me. 
yes. a young girl who plays Wen is just incredible. And she, she really is. does kind of fall into this family dynamic with uh, Jonathan Groff and uh, Ben Aldridge's characters. Uh, and they themselves, the two of them, I think are just like a great couple, a great family in this movie. Yeah. There's some flashback sequences that kind of give us a little more framework for their relationship. Uh, both both really positive moments in their relationship and both really you know kind of negative or challenging parts of their relationship um that i think really kind of build a base for us to really kind of believe them um as a couple and you know as them as fathers and and just how much they care about each other and about their child so i think that all really makes everything that they're faced with in the movie um, be as effective as it is, at least, you know, in, in my feeling in terms of their performances and kind of where the movie goes. I, I think the other really great work in the movie is um, the ability to really slowly and deliberately like have an audience really start to notice these very small fissures in this, in their, you know, relationship in this moment or, 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 or in there being on the same page about what's happening. Yeah. I think there's a couple of sequences in the movie where um, John kind of mentioned, you know, kind of the ways in which they're different um, and their whole thing, you know, that you see in some of these moments is they, they have this like always together mentality, you know, it's always us, you know, and that's a really inspiring thing. And then you see them in this really traumatic, scary moment and one that a child is involved in as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and these things start happening that really um, put a bit of a divide between them. And it's so subtle and it's so uh, deliberate that it just, um, it really, it really kind of, it just worked for me a lot. And there was not really a piece where like, you think that they're like their relationship or their love for one another is in question at any time in the story, which I think is a great thing for the story because there's no point in even going into that, I think, in this story. And the fact that it was never even broached is like, I just think it makes their whole like dilemma work so much better. Um, But yeah, I thought this movie was great. I, I, the more I, the more it sits with me, um, the more positive I feel about it. I think, uh, we were, again, we were talking a lot about it after we saw the movie, but just this idea that like, you know, kind of this this run that M. Night is on, like whether you liked the last four movies or whatever that he's put four or five movies that he's put out. But, you know, kind of since he's kind of come back, quote unquote, um, you know, I guess post after Earth, um, you know, slowly getting into our good great graces again, I guess most um, notably like with Split, but even, you know, going back to the visit and Split and Glass um and old and now this i think it's just he's he's done a really good thing i think and just kind of like this is also notably a, a, a screenplay which he shares co-writing credit on which he doesn't normally have a lot of that the last one actually was after earth um so i think that's something maybe this be- this movie may may benefit from um but i don't know i just think he's on a good run i really like that he's been a lot more consistent with his movies and it's crazy to think about how successful his movies have been in those last five that I mentioned, because, you know, he's making a lot of these movies in some ways with his own money or with money that is coming through co-financing that he's kind of setting up um, or through studios, like initially, like with Blumhouse with the visit, you know, where they're kind of like a 5 million or less type thing. But 
I think all of the movies, you know, have made at least like $90 million, you know, worldwide. So I'm talking just about since the visit, you know, and that's a movie that was made for $5 million, but you know, split was huge over 270, you know, glass was huge over 270, even old made over $90 million, which is kind of surprises me. Um, so I don't know. I think it's cool that he's kind of like reined it in a little bit and really gotten back to some really good storytelling, really good filmmaking. I think he's a really I've always really liked him as a filmmaker. Um, I'm really kind of struck by the way he shoots a lot of his movies or even shows that he's been involved in. Yeah. Um, you know, like Servant. And, you know, he had a hand in Wayward Pines, which I really liked the first season of that. Um, but I'm just excited, man, because I've always really, really loved M. Night. And I mean, in his earlier work, I was a super fan. And probably bought into the whole he's the next Spielberg thing a little too much. But um, for the most part, I like the vast majority of his movies, if not love them. And I just feel like this is another one of these recent ones. I, I like this. I personally like this more than old mm-hmm. quite a bit, but I still liked old. Yeah. I just think this one, the performances are more balanced. They're more even. Um, and the story is just more interesting to me. Um, and it's just, it just, I think it just works overall better because of the performances but well there's um, a what would you do aspect to it because of those performances but it's not really a what would you do because you're like well i don't really think that i would be i mean ronald you and i were texting about this i don't think i would be swayed i I would be the skeptical dad mm. um uh, i would be like i don't know you could show me all the footage and i'd be like you could fake that like i I have to hold on to my sanity i have to hold on to my sense of direction about where this where i'm what i'm trying to do i'm trying to save my family i'm trying to protect my family whatever i wouldn't be able to oh you're trying to break my reality i know i'm not going to let you break my reality i might later then as i said to ronald be like oh shit is if something's really happening here um but i think what it's interesting about that that couple thing and we i don't know if we mentioned ben aldridge the guy who plays uh yeah, Daddy Andrew. I mean, honestly, this is kind of his movie. Um, I thought I went into it thinking it was going to be Batista's movie, and it almost is. But I think that the Ben Aldridge guy who plays Andrew really does sort of he carries so many scenes, and maybe because I I don't have any preconceived notion of that actor that I know of, um, it allowed me to just really be like this guy. I like this guy. <laughs> I like I like Andrew, even though you know I know it's just a performance. But I thought he really kind of pushed through, and I felt like that groundedness of a person who's sort of denying the scenario. It makes it whatever crazy stuff is going on feel that much more relatable. Um, So there is that little bit of a what would you do? But I was like, when it was over, the one thing it wasn't making me do, Steve, was kind of wonder about it. But then something, I had a conversation with my son, and because he saw it with us, and... um, or I, I secretly brought a grown man. I snuck in a grown man pretending he was my son. You guys haven't seen Henry in three years, but he's he's almost as tall as me now. Um, and he he brought up something that made me realize, oh yeah, that's the sort of thing. That's the thing that got me wondering. And then it got me into that zone you're in, Steve, where I kept, couldn't stop thinking about it. Which is yeah. when this if this is something that happens and it's been repeated before, um, in the past, did it not go as far as it did as this far, time yeah. because people did the thing sooner i know right. that that's like in the past did it go differently because people didn't need three steps uh in front of them to do people the just thing? believed 
people I mean, just we, believed. We do have yeah. a documented version of when the, the one of the times it happened. Right, right. But I mean, th- it makes you think about all the stuff, like the 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 disasters, the whatever, the yeah, pandemics, yeah. the things. Yeah. So I th- was like, oh, how many times has it happened already? Is that that little M Night Shyamalan kind of twist of saying like, now think back on all these things that have happened and realize that when that was happening, something yeah. was happening behind the scenes. The other thing That's I heard really someone cool. say that was so interesting was that we're right now so fractured as a country and sometimes even as families and sometimes even as like two people sitting in a room talking, we have this moment. It's like this closed world of this cabin. There's like two total different realities, two people who cannot have a real conversation, two groups that cannot have a real exchange because yeah. what they believe and what they value is so fundamentally different for this situation that there's no getting past it. And so in that yeah. sense, yeah. it's almost a really cynical view of like, this is the shape humanity is in um, as well as the the broader picture and the kind of fantasy or whatever you want to call it uh, element, mytho- mythological element that the movie kind of gets into, but all of it done. You're right, Steve, it's very sure handed. This movie is just, I mean, I, I think M night, I mean, that next, Spielberg thing or Spielberg the next Spielberg thing it really did kind of hurt him in a way because if he yeah. started to believe it that's when he started making his most pretentious movies but yeah. um um I think yeah he seems to not not that you want someone to be like oh he's been humbled and he's back but like I think he knows how to do that lower budget thing maybe it is his own money whatever it is but he seems to have these ideas that are scalable to what he can pull off and we've talked about this after the screening this movie comes in at like a clean hour and 40 minutes it's not trying to overstay its welcome it's not trying to be ostentatious um he kind of wants to be in and out and, and leave you gasping a little bit so i think there's something yeah there's something energized about him i i, I feel like right now he's more in my mind like He's more like, oh, he he could be the next Jordan Peele <laughs> because he's a guy who does these fantasy horror whatever films, but he always has a, a little something maybe philosophical or spiritual or whatever you want to call it that he's actually talking Some about. It, and it yeah. reminds me of that, um, you know, like this is a home invasion with a difference. Well, Jordan Peele makes a, an alien invasion with a difference or a, or a, a horror film with a difference. So I think that, um, you know, it's that with a difference that these guys can kind of bring to it. Um, and you might think M-, M night is hokey, but we were talking about this too. I just now know people are going to act and talk like they don't act in real life in a, in an M night movie. Um, yeah. yeah. And I'm just going to, that's just part of the style, you know, <laughs> and I'm going to enjoy that as much as I enjoy people in a Coen brothers movie talking in a kind of, you know, whatever fast talking, you know, old, old timey way or whatever. So. For sure, man. I, uh, I also appreciate how like this is in, in talking about those five movies or these five films and, if you remove split and glass, which we would all learn to be a part of this unbreakable trilogy, um, which by the way, that, that seeing split in a theater and like that reveal in that, it's still yeah. like a, that's still like one of those moments for me uh, in a theater kind of thing. But if you think of the visit village old and cabin at the uh, knock at the cabin, it's like these three, like, yeah. Family trips gone horribly wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and and they're very like contained in one space or, you know, a, a relatively small space. And that probably plays into the ability to kind of do these films on a budget where they can really get a good return. And uh, and also just to note, I don't know what Universal does with the release for this, but I mean, he's one of the few filmmakers out there still that really demands a theatrical window. So I'm curious what uh what happens with this in terms of their their 17 day play that they can do depending on how this movie performs because even with old you know old had some legs and did well like i just mentioned at the box office but um old i think they they protected that film for 90 days before it came out so i'm curious what happens um he's one of few that that still kind of make that a, a requirement of what he puts out and uh 
you know, in this new time that we're in, I'm curious to see if people will have the opportunity to see this sooner than later, or if they have to wait that standard window. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, again, I, 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 the more it's just me, the more I really, really enjoyed this movie. And I would, I, I highly recommend checking it out if you're an M night fan or Batista again, he's great in it, or just kind of looking for a, a, a tight, a tight little thriller. Or if you're enjoying watching Rupert Grant's post Harry Potter career, where he just plays <laughs> like really uncomfortable people. <laughs> yeah, the opposite of yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ron Weasley. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> um, um, anything yeah, else? What else? Yeah. What else did you guys see? You, you two saw something, right? We saw Babylon. You saw Babylon. Yeah. All three Ron- hours and nine minutes. Of it. <laughs> I can't wait to hear Ronald talk about this. Cause he was kind of getting into it after the screening of knock at the yeah. cabin, but it was kind of cut short. Yeah. Tell me about Babylon. It's crazy. It's one of the it's one of the wackiest movies I've ever seen. I mean, the somebody gets peed on in the first 10 minutes of the movie. I'm I think you're burying the lead. Somebody gets elephant diarrhea all over themselves <laughs> in the first 20 seconds of the movie. Before you get peed on, you get elephant diarrhea. And so like you're just seeing a lot of, of a lot of, of waste it. on people. Yeah. yeah Oddly enough, had, I had you said that any... to me on had you said that to me on Tuesday, then I probably would have made time to watch this <laughs> movie. Like, well, well, if I knew Elephant Diarrhea was, involved. I mean, but we're not talking about a quick blast, Steve. We're talking well, about a shower like... and a camera. It, you know, it gets on the camera lens. Um, <laughs> yeah. But there's you know a surprisingly low. I tell tell me if I'm wrong about this, Ronald. There's not much semen in this movie. There's blood. No. There's vomit. There's pee and poo. I'm out. But but there's no there's not like you'd think well, that Damien Chazelle would have thrown in a scene of so you know but i'm just saying with yeah. this movie being the movie that it is you'd think they would have given us one scene there's even like mm. lots of snot there's a there's a guy hawking loogies through a whole scene yeah. um i don't know this movie is one of those that i think is just going to always be confounding to me because i i found it in some places so interesting and like exhilarating and it's got that and like damien chazelle's really going for it with the kind of not quite scorsese-esque but like those those kind of sequences and camera moves and big big epic you know, just long shots that move through the set where millions of things are happening. And I think that at its best, La La Land had that energy of someone who was really working the camera and working the sequences and even Whiplash, you know, um, had a, like an, a giddiness to it, an exhilarated quality to it. So I think there's something he does that is, I mean, despite the fact, despite the fact that this movie is going to give you like Southland Tales vibes in terms of like everything it tries to do, um, it's also got those moments. And I think that like, there's a moment at the end or very near the end, maybe the very ending, actually I'm thinking of that really did make me go, okay, this movie has hit me in the feels as a movie lover. This movie will grab you at certain moments when it makes you think about the movie business and the sort of people that make it and, and so forth. But it also has moments where it feels a little bit high on its own fumes when it comes to the, the, the conversations about movies and stuff. And I like the way it pulled from lore. And some of this stuff is like, crazy as hell but it's based on stuff that really did happen that's very close to events of the movie even though the these are fictionalized characters at the center of the movie so i don't know i mean it's i I think there's there's almost no way for me to have a clean opinion on this movie clean i can't be clean because i've got elephant diarrhea all over my body from the first from like the first moment of this movie it's just a it it, do you know what i mean ronald though i mean you you can't be like they didn't try (laughs) you can't be like well they they really missed the mark it's like well they tried to hit like 70 different targets somehow in this movie and and i don't even know i don't even know what happened then (laughs) yeah because at first you're like okay you're like this is chaotic they're like okay all that they're addressing how women felt in this scenario then they're like okay well this black dude's having a pretty good run right now 
oh, okay, his fate has changed a little bit. Right. It's like it's like they they really do address all facets of it. But there's a movie that I dare you to watch that counters this in every way, shape, or form, and that's the artist. It addresses all of the things about the industry changing that this addresses in a way that feels a lot more calculated and streamlined and better told story. But that's this, a totally different beast. It's like it's a it's a wholesome movie compared to this movie, yeah, which is trying yeah. to make you realize how hedonistic yes. and lawless it all was. I mean, I, I I know what you're saying, but I I think that I think that that's almost like this movie's not trying to be oh no trying no, to be the movie that the artist be, was. It almost feels like Damien Chazelle's trying to burn bridges. Like he does, he wants nobody to want to make a movie with him after this. Yeah, he's so cynical about the movie biz. But in the end, I think it is still a love letter. I mean, the very end is very like the power of movies to kind of brighten your day. Mm. Um, and it, and, and it reminds me of that moment. Remember the moment in the theater where uh, it looks like Ryan Gosling has been stood up in La La Land and then she shows up and how that moment yeah. is just such a big emotional burst of just joy. This movie, yeah. you know, that moment in the theater where the, you, where the camera moves up Ronald and you see everybody in the crowd. I thought that was actually like corny as hell, but also yeah. like really effective in its, in its way. And then it does a very yeah. strange thing. There's a montage that I really was shocked to see as yeah. far as like what's in the montage. It's just, yeah. yeah. Seems it, like this movie doesn't have rails. It's a train with no rails. <clears throat> it it really is it really is off the rails, but it really pays homage to the people that made things happen. You know, not not just the director, not just the actors, the the you know, the extras, the you know, the people that really wanted to be stars and what it what it meant, what what it meant in Hollywood to come and be on a marquee and be on a poster and it, it it was like this seeing uh Samara Weaving and uh Margot Robbie Margot Robbie in the same frame yeah. felt like the screen was gonna crack in half. I know like I've I did never see I'd never imagined those two ever being in anything together together ever but it, it was it was just together really, ever 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 <laughs> um but it was really a, a well made piece of trash <laughs> it's a it's a trash it's it's a dumpster fire it's a gaudy dumpster fire that is like really uh, like well made you're right like yeah. that's that's a good you should absolutely see it though like here's here's what's crazy I, I never thought i'd say this about a dumpster fire i'll probably watch this movie two or three more times wow and it's three hours long like it is it is something about it it's hitting on something that yeah, like the okay, so th there's there's a character that's kind of in the beginnings of the movie that comes back much later, and when he's in the theater and the montage happens, right? Yeah. That when he's crying in the theater, there's something about the way that movies make us feel. Yeah. That I could at, that that is like, oh, Damien Chazelle, this is why he this is what yeah. makes him great. It's like through all of this dumpster fire, there's still like like John said, some some really golden moments that I'll I'll never forget. You know, okay. golden showers to be exact. But... Golden, <laughs> like a that was another thing. She peed on him for like thirty seconds. It wasn't like a just a pee and then go to the next scene. It was like, did she really pee on him? 
think I don't know, man. Everybody. I mean, I'm sure they didn't really do that, but it's like you never know. You like I do think the movie starts with all that stuff to establish what we're trying to say, which is this movie yeah, yeah. is wild in that way. Um, yeah. but um, no, I thought it was uh, yeah, like it was weird. I kind of agree with you for a movie that's way too long and way too meandering and way too like in love with itself. It was weirdly watchable, and partially mm-hmm. that's because of that Damien Chazelle that sense of like cinema that he has. And I, I really do believe he's a guy that can make maybe, uh, you know, some amazing movies, uh, you know, that are, that don't have all these qualifiers attached to it. Like this movie's kind of amazing, but amazing in the way that like, it would be amazing if you were at the fair and the Ferris wheel broke off and rolled into a lake, that would be amazing. Yes. It just wouldn't be, <laughs> you'd be like, well, I, I got to make sure everybody made it out. Okay. Before I say it was a mate, but you know, to have seen that would be awe inspiring. And that's kind of what this movie feels like is just, it's, it's wild. And it is about that same thing though. It's about excess. So it's, I don't know. It's almost yeah. like it's got to get out of jail free card when it comes to that. The performances are interesting. Who do you think stood out Ronald as like a, you know, maybe the best actor or. One Margot of the Robbie's killing it. Um, Brad, Brad Pitt is it like this, like Peter Pan kind of character, man. Like, and his his arc is so like uh, troubling yeah. <laughs> you know um the the actress the the asian actress um Who plays Feiju. oh my god man she like, was great she was great um margot robbie of course i think she's the one with the most to do that actor who plays manny i don't know his name manny's really good yeah What's the name of the guy? I think I can see it here. Uh, Manny's Diego Calva, and he he's really good. I mean, he's honestly great. Like he actually he's, holds he, he actually holds the thing together um, yeah. pretty darn well. And you almost forget that he's doing such a solid acting job. You know whose part I actually enjoyed, and I thought the vignette that he was in was actually very funny. But I thought Rory Scovall was really fun so to good. see in this. And that whole thing with Tobey Maguire. I mean, what is that scene? That's the, yeah. That's the. I don't but that was that was fun. I mean, I, that but that was like a great example of where this movie can go. Just and you're like, yeah. what are we watching? Like this is a little thirty minute horror film that's wedged into this yeah. into this was movie. Was that Flea? Was that yeah. Flea from yeah. Red Hot Chili Peppers? Yep. Also super random, and I kind of liked his role. It, his voice is so like. No, he was great. He was great. Yeah, yeah. Olivia Wilde is in it. You blink and you miss her, but she's really good. Uh, Chloe Feynman from SNL was in one scene, which is, I was is that thing where you go, is that Chloe Feynman? And then the scene's over, and then you look it up, and you're like, yeah, it was, but I don't know, you know, how they do that. But I think that's a, again, that's a Damien Chazelle thing. It's he's not quite Ryan Johnson level, but he's like at the point where he can get people to pop in for a small part where you might not know that it's them. Um, or where if they get a good scene, it's worth it to come in. So, yeah. I mean, Steve, I can't imagine quite what you're going to think. I feel like there's so many elements of this movie that feel like they'd be a home run for you. But then I think there's a lot that is like, I know anathema <laughs> for you. So I'm interested to know if you ever sat through this movie, if there would be moments that you would like carry off and say, this was great. Or if it yeah. would just be too much of a mess for you to uh, hang in there with. Because it's not like it's artsy. It's not like it's in love with itself and nothing's going on. It's like there's too much going on. You know, it's right. a different. It's a different kind of uh, overlong. So I really am kind of. I kind of want you to see it just so we can have a full accounting of Babylon. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't really wish it on anybody. I, but like I said, I, I found it watchable, and I do think Damien Chazelle. I didn't watch First Man or whatever that uh, astronaut movie was that he did. And you know, I, but I'm on. I kind of am on board with him. I'm one of those people that liked La La Land and didn't didn't feel bad about it the next morning. So, um, I think uh, 
And a lot of people seem to have turned on whiplash and I've seen people acting like it furthers the idea of like a toxic mentor or something. But I don't think that movie leaves you feeling like JK Simmons is a great guy at all. It just leaves you feeling like maybe that kind of person can pull something from you that you wouldn't find otherwise. But I don't remember ending that movie feeling like, Oh, this is a worship piece for this, (laughs) for this kind of mentor. But I think Damien Chazelle is always going to maybe do that. He's going to have something in his movies that are going to be somewhat divisive or, you know, off-putting to some because he's actually, there's something going on in there. Anyway, as a Brad Pitt fan, you have to watch it, right? Steve? Yeah. It's I'm, I'm completest. Yeah. I got to check yeah. it out. Yeah. yeah. I'll watch it. I'll let you guys know. Um, One thing I watched, it's a, a very late to that. I wanted to mention just on the podcast because I, I, I love pretty much everyone involved with it, but um, I finally got around to watching the uh, FX docuseries. Welcome to Wrexham. Mm-hmm. Um, the Rob McElhaney and Ryan Reynolds basically bought a, a Welsh football club and uh, it's basically about how you know they're basically taking the Wrexham team um, trying to get them promoted through the course of a season and you know basically spinning this out into some sort of big business investment venture uh, really interesting just as an idea for anything and uh, the series is incredible, though. Like, I had no idea. I mean, like, I we talked about this before. Like, I just feel like I was in with Rob's involvement because I just think that he he does really have something special going on. Um, like, whether it was Always Sunny or now that he has the uh, Mythic Quest show on Apple TV. Um, and this this is another one that I just think that there's a lot of really great... The story of this football club and the town around it and the people that, you know, kind of prop it up and keep it alive is just, I thought was incredible. And I think some like someone like him and and Ryan Reynolds, who, you know, wh- wherever you fall in Ryan Reynolds, like I'm, I'm a fan. And I think that he brings a lot to this docuseries and to this whole adventure just as a marketing kind of genius uh, in a lot of ways and all the stuff he has going on with mint and aviation gin and just his film career, but it's just a really great series. I mean, if you can, if you can watch it, it's on FX, it's, you know, I think they're out 20, 20, 25 minutes each. I think there was like 16 episodes or 17 episodes, but um, you can watch the whole season. I think they're going to, you know, I think there's going to be another season. Um, it's been very well received, I think. So yeah, um, it was I'd just, surprised I, I, I like plowed through it in two days. Like I was just like, wow, this is, I was hooked. Um, and not even knowing anything about, you know, football or, or soccer um, and, and, you know, kind of in that part of the world and, and at really everywhere, but here where it's like, just like the one of, if not the biggest sport in the world, mm-hmm. um, it really was like a great education for me too. And they, and they have so much fun kind of using the show to do that, to educate an audience about the sport and the club and just the hierarchy of the system and the promotion and the, the demotions and everything like that, the relegation, it's just I was I, I loved it, and uh, I've been telling people about people about it all week uh, at work and everything. So I wanted to mention it on the pod. Did either of you watch that, or you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Man. Okay, I told you about it. Yeah, I mean, we I talked about it on the show. podcast. We talked I about it on the podcast. This was the whole I, conversation with McElhaney and like my feeling about him. I've watched it twice already. I haven't. I hadn't. I hadn't gotten to it yet, and it just was sitting there waiting for me. I need to watch it and, once. Already. Yeah, I like it, man. Uh, I more than liked it. I loved it. It would, it would, it was incredible experience watching it. And yeah, 
I'm all in. I, I got to order a Wrexham jersey. I'm all in on this club. I want one so bad with the TikTok I want, I, logo I want, on it. I want that hat that he has. I like that, the, that black. The, the Philly one? Yeah. The Philly colorway? Yeah. So good. Yeah. There's a kind of... There's a... There's a soccer doc, the war for football. That's about the the Super League. That's about mm. to that they're trying to create. Yeah, that is a a perfect companion piece for that. It's a what is appetite. it called? The war of what? The war for football. Oh, the war for football. The okay, war for it. football. Yeah, it's the war of football. The war for football. <laughs> that's what I thought he said. No, the war. For it's all football. happening on like uh, down Super at the docks. League. Yeah, it, it's about all the it, this really, especially when you see it happen on Wrexham. Like just the idea that like poorer teams can't do some yes. of the things that the super teams can do. You know, so like uh, any of the big ones you've ever heard of. You know, so like seeing all of those rich teams kind of come together and create a super league so that basically nobody profits, but them yeah, is insane, but take the, but they really, they mentioned Wrexham because that's like yeah. one of the examples. Yeah. I, I know one person on earth from Wrexham and she's very happy that this, this show is <laughs> kind of being, it's like nobody ever talks about my town. I used to work with her at uh under armor, but yeah, I'm, I'm really happy that you saw. I was just saying, I was just being. Yeah, that. no, no. We talked about it a few times and just kind of got pushed off and pushed off. And I've, I've been trying to go back and I've been checking off these shows over the last yeah. year that I missed. But um, and I had even heard him on a couple podcasts, Rob, talking about the development of the show and just of their investment in the team. And like, it's so interesting how they're using the show to fund the team. And, so smart, and FX's involvement in terms of the marketing for the show, which is really marketing for the team. And like just this like layered system of like uh, revenue streaming um, that they're able to do. And with, with Ryan's companies and his brand, it, I don't know. It's just, it's just a really creative, unique idea for uh, investment, for a show, for any of this stuff. But at the center of it, just this football club and like the town, it's just like it. You can't not watch the show and fall in love with it. It's just like it's it's engaging as all hell. Super lovable people, man. Yeah, for sure. And then the relationship between Robin and um, Ryan. Ryan. I don't know why I yeah. couldn't remember Ryan. Yeah. Uh, between Rob and Ryan, and and Rob's like shock of some of the things that Ryan can do. Just yeah, he's like us. He's yeah. like. He's processing things the way that we are processing things. It's like, what? You're leveraging what? you do what? Okay, yeah. I guess. TikTok is a part of this? What? Right. Like, yeah. it's just super smart stuff that he that he does. He's a he's a mogul. I, I, I can actually he use is. that term for him. He's a mogul. And he I really think he's is. turning Rob into one. I think he's turning Rob. He's getting <laughs> Rob's brain churning about the business of it The all. art of mogulism. The, the well, I just love how like Humphrey, you know, the guy who is kind of their conduit between the team is like a writer from Mythic Quest. Yeah. You know? It's like yes. that's how he even that's how he even learned about this club, you know, and, and the whole uh you know the, the the football system and like it's just oh yeah, a writer's room conversation turns into an investment and turns into buying a football club turns into your next television series it's just it's, i don't know it's just kind of bonkers it's real life ted lasso like yeah it is it, it genuinely is it's, totally it's that's what it is insane like the way that they like the, the deadpool masks the just oh god man it's good i love i loved it i can't wait to see stuff. more 
I'm really glad you liked. What it. else did you guys see? Anything else you want to mention before we wrap up? I think so. <clears throat> have you you have you seen anything? Um, nah, I think that's it for me. I think that might be it for yeah, me. I mean, I I, I, I mentioned you guys. I saw Infinity Pool, the uh, Brandon Cronenberg no! movie. Yeah. No, I texted you guys about it. Yeah, he said it on the thread. Yeah. Yeah. But that those things pass by. Ronald and I were talking about how when you come in and there's been several messages, sometimes yeah. you're like, you know what? I'll just figure it out if anything really important got said. Um, <laughs> or it'll but, get brought up on the pod. Yeah, yeah. It'll, it'll come up. But no, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Did you watch Possessor, Ronald? Did you see the last Cronenberg joint? No, I thought that the last Cronenberg thing was that uh, that body horror movie. No, am I? Am I? Is that in my brain? You're thinking you might be thinking of David Cronenberg. Cr- David Cronenberg. This is this his is son, another- Brandon Cronenberg, the guy who made Possessor, and I did not see his. So both other- of them are sick fucks. Uh, Brandon Cronenberg. I, it's one of those things where you say his dad must be proud. Like when you watch okay. Infinity Pool, you say to yourself, "His dad must be proud." But also, Infinity Pool fits into the category of. Um, you know, uh, rich assholes at some kind of resort uh, mm. having some fucked up stuff happen to them. And I think Infinity Pool takes it to this extra l- layer of being like, it's just so creepy and off-putting from the start. Like even the way the camera moves in a scene and che- what it chooses to frame up and how it can avoid you from really having seen a person's face. Like it can create mystery in interesting ways because you realize, oh, I, di- I only saw that character kind of from the side or from the back or um, I don't really know what they look like, or I wouldn't necessarily, I don't know, not to say that it, there's a mistaken identity as a part of the movie. It's just, I've always thought about that when, when you go see a movie, like how movies favor the face of the actor and like the framed up nice shot of the actor. But when sometimes a movie finds interesting ways to look at a scene where you're not always framed up on faces and you're not always seeing the thing that makes the scene make the most sense to you, that can be done in, a, in an artful way. Or it can be done in a really haphazard way. And in this case, I really feel like he's got an eye for how to be intriguing and weird and and dreamlike and interesting, and yet also give you a storyline that you can follow. Um, Kind of one of those stories that's so weird that you realize, oh, I didn't think I understood it, but now I think I actually do understand it. And it's just that weird. Do you know what I mean? Oh, like, right, right. Um, but it, I, I would say the best reference point would be something like if you liked Possessor, then maybe this would be, this is like a, a follow-up that that feels like it's of a piece with it. But it also is a much, you know, like this this resort is like in, in a vaguely like um, maybe like um, Eastern European country and outside the walls of the resort they're told not to leave those the, the resort because it's really dangerous out there and the local cops might you know really not cooperate with you if the, if you get caught out there at night or whatever so it's like there's this feeling of complete danger all around and you're in this weird resort where everything is supposed to be so nice but it never feels that fun it's not like white lotus it's like the whole place feels kind of creepy and austere <laughs> and just off-putting from the start and then what happens overnight Alan, alexander skarsgård is a writer who's kind of gone to this retreat to sort of get his juices flowing his creative juices flowing and um mia goth is a person who seems to be a big fan of his book and then she kind of pulls him into this whole plot and this story that unfolds and yes mia goth and alexander skarsgård are our two prime actors for like they seem to like ask their agent like well is the script is it fucked up is there weird sex stuff in it <laughs> yes that you know i don't have to read it i just have to know that it's going to be off-putting and weird and yeah they'll they go to those extremes and i think that's part of it i mean it's like cronenberg skarsgård goth 
altogether, um, you know, there's a lot of willingness to explore and and do wild stuff in this movie. So yeah, I think uh, I, I kind of loved it in a way, but I also can totally get how some people would, you know, run screaming in the other direction. <clears throat> oh, I'll, I'll probably watch it when it comes on on Pvod or whatever. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested. Yeah, I heard somebody reviewing it the other day that like I it kind of framed it. I mean, similar to how you just said, but like they were talking about how it was more or it, to them it felt like in some ways like what the purge could have been if it was like a lot more just fucked up and like people really went uh, into a lot like this idea of like dark places and what what kind of what kind of person are you or yes. could you be if you had money to like basically cover uh your your <laughs> the things that you really want to do but don't do because you're not supposed to like and the way they were reviewing it right. was like oh this sounds a lot more interesting to me than the trailer looked well and, and you and the and the horror sci-fi whatever element of it that kind of brings into that is something that really is explored in the movie too it's not just yeah. weird imagery for the sake of weird imagery so you do get another layer but that whole idea of like is your life like you've got enough money for other lot like for people's lives not to mean as much to you. Right. You know what I mean? And mm. I think that's a really, yeah, it, it does kind of look into that. And in th the Alexander Skarsgård character is kind of like, he's a creative person with a rich wife. So he's kind of like an outsider amongst these super rich elite people, which makes him kind of a poser. And then kind of like how he plays, it's almost like the Harry Call thing of, from the conversation of like, when he does kind of start to feel full of himself and get into it is when you can totally see like, oh, he's slipping. Like this guy yeah. is like, is believing his own hype in a way um but yeah it's uh and then it's also completely horrific and it has elements of body horror and like a super long orgy scene that a lot of people find uh, i've seen what's funny is i've seen people saying this gosh this orgy scene is so tame i can't believe this movie has such like puritanical ideas about sex and other people saying like i nearly threw up and left the theater because of how weird this this orgy scene was so i don't know oh you wow know, it's just that kind of guy i mean it's like that's why I say Possessor would be the best style guide because that movie has some really weird moments of ultra violence in it that that make it body horror. You know, when you get that much into like how destructive you can be towards the human body, it's uh, right. I, I think Nicholas Vending Refn is another person who kind of treats violence in a similar way where he just lets you see the, you know, the ruin of it. <clears throat> I'm excited so, about his show. I haven't even started on it yet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Copenhagen yeah. Cowboy. <laughs> I haven't even started. <laughs> It's a crazy name. Yeah. Yeah. So next Nothing, week we've got Ghost Watch. Yeah, I'm saying Ghost Watch. There it is. You got it. And remember, it's on Tubi if you want to watch it for free. Tubi. Ghost Watch, hun. Ghost Watch, hun. Um, Moviesmovie.com is the website. You can find all of our episodes there, all 366 plus episodes. Um, also, you can jump onto the socials from there Instagram, Twitter. TikTok, YouTube, youtube.com slash movies movie podcast. If you want to watch the video version of this podcast, um, if you subscribe on, on a, uh, a podcast platform of your choice, please, if you can leave a review, a rating or hit the share button, do, do any of the above. It would yeah, really please. be helpful. Yeah. Uh, and we, we, on, we, so we would really appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so next week we got Ghost Watch and uh, some other stuff that I'm sure will come up between now and then that we'll happily talk about for in uh, 
Yeah, look forward to that. All right, guys. Uh, good seeing you both. And thank you again for listening, whoever you are that is listening and, and or watching on YouTube. And as always, you made our day. Thanks. Bye. Guys, I think we're being recorded right now. <laughs> I heard like a buzzing sound. I, and I was like, what? what is that little click? Click. I'm gonna rip up all the all the uh, paneling and all the uh, you know. The, yeah, pull all, all pull all those stones out behind you. Make sure yeah, you I'm get in to. there I'm too. Gonna, and I'll get into that mortar. So you guys, I don't know. You might want to bust out your walls, Ronald. <laughs> and the floorboards. Like, yeah, floorboards. Tear that TV and the off walls the walls. Yeah. yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> all right, I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs>